Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I've got a solo episode for you today. So it's just me jamming on a topic that I think is pretty hot right now and is near and dear to my heart because as a nutritionist first, I've always been fascinated by food and by the power of food to heal our bodies. But we are here at a bit of a an interesting time. Over the last couple of years, you've probably noticed that the rhetoric around specific diets has been heating up dramatically. I mean, it's always been, you know, a bit of a fight between the vegetarians and the vegans and the carnivores and and carnivore not so much until the last couple of years because I think the carnivore diets really kind of elevated, but before that it was the keto diet and the paleo diet and all of these different diets, and I will call them lifestyles, right? Because most of these eating plans, if you will, are not a 10-week diet or a five-week diet or a four-week diet. They are generally positioned as a lifestyle. They are a way of nourishing our bodies long-term in order to, according to the proponents, to help us to live longer and healthier lives. So, you know, I decided on doing this episode in particular for a couple of reasons. A couple of weeks ago, a week or two ago on Instagram, one of my followers, um, I think I'd written a post about something or other, and she came in and said, when will this battle over which diet is best going to be settled? Uh, I'm confused. Everybody's confused. People are running from one side to, to the other, and you can find really articulate really knowledgeable and seeming and incredibly compelling arguments on all sides of this equation. You can find people who are thriving or seemingly thriving on any number of these fronts. And so what my answer to her was never. I don't think it's ever going to be settled. Why? Because I don't think there's one answer. Now, the next thing that happened that really pushed me over the edge on doing this episode is a recent post, um, and I can't remember the name of the guy who posted it first, but the person who's really picked up the flag on this one is Dr. Sean Baker, who is a fairly well-known advocate for the carnivore diet. He's very vocal. He's very funny sometimes. He's very well-educated. And this is a man who purely nourishes himself from animal products. And I think in his case, it's mostly, if not completely, red meat. There's not even, I don't think he consumes dairy or any of those other things. I could be wrong about that. But at the end of the day, a vegetable does not pass his lips. He doesn't eat vegetables. He doesn't eat fruit. He doesn't, like none of these things are consumed by him. And frankly, the guy looks by all appearances healthy. He says that, and he's very strong. He's a big, strong dude and he's no dope. And at the end of the day, he's actually makes some really great, very compelling, educated arguments for eating carnivore. And his labs that he has shared numerous times look amazing. He doesn't have high cholesterol. His blood sugar is great, obviously. I mean, he's firing off all cylinders, so clearly he is thriving. And in his following, you will find 
legions of people who are thriving, who have healed themselves from all kinds of diseases, who are really doing well on a purely carnivore diet. Now, what's happened over the last couple of weeks is I kind of interrupted myself, posted first by somebody else and then picked up by Sean is the story of a Canadian woman who is a rancher in Alberta who is, her name is Maggie. I don't know, don't remember her last name, but her name is Maggie. Believe me, you go to Sean Baker's feed. She's all over the place on there. And she, there's a beautiful picture of her with her family. And she looks amazing. I, at the gym this morning, I asked three men in the gym, how old do you think this woman is? To a fault, each one of them said 55 years old. She is 82 and she looks phenomenal. So this is like, Shocking. Number one, it's shocking because she's been living on a ranch or in rural areas for her entire life. So this is a woman who's had a tough life. Now, on the other hand, she's lived an outdoor life. She's lived a life away from technology, away from EMFs, away from pollution, away from all the things. But typically when you meet ranchers, these are people who look weather beaten, right? They don't look fresh-faced and she looks fresh-faced and she, and you can find her interviews on YouTube. We'll try and put the links down below to this stuff. She hasn't eaten a vegetable in 62 years. She doesn't like them. And that's why she cut them out of her diet initially. But at the end of the day, she thrives on red meat, chicken, fish, wild game, eggs, dairy, cheese, these are, this is all that she eats. She recently tried to introduce coffee because she kind of liked the taste and I think they got into it for a business or something. And she found that her joint pain increased, so she had to stop drinking it. So this woman has become the poster child for the carnivore diet. And as such, she is amazing. She's spectacular. And if you listen to her speak, she's very compelling. But really, I think that she came forward not to tell the whole world to eat only meat, but she came forward because of how polarized and how political the discussion around eating meat has become. And I kind of have to support her on this because at the end of the day, I do believe personally, and this is my humble opinion, is that we need meat to thrive and to be our most healthy. Now, that does not mean we need to be carnivore. And I, if you've been listening to my podcast for a long time or any period of time, you probably know that I'm a pretty middle of the road person. I don't tend to be an extremist. I'm not an extreme. I'm, I'm not big into keto or I'm more of a paleo girl, but I'm more in the Mediterranean paleo diet world. On the carnivore side, I tried carnivore for a while. It didn't seem to really resonate for me, but you know what? There's a few factors that factor into whether a diet is going to really work for you or not. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But one of the things that I think that's really important for us to get our heads around is when we start to take information from these very extreme camps, whether it's the keto camp, the vegan camp, the vegetarian camp, the paleo, um, did I say paleo? I didn't say paleo yet. The carnivore camp, which is very, very, very vocal. And I feel like they've become very much more vocal lately because of how vocal and how oppositional the vegan camp has become. This has become a philosophical stakes in the sand, 
you know, you are a bad person if you don't do this. And that's coming more from the vegan side than the than the carnivore side. But definitely, this is becoming a highly charged and emotional discussion. In the middle of all this is the rest of the world sitting there looking from side to side, listening to all these people getting more and more confused, right? Thinking, well, I just want to be healthy and live longer. Who am I supposed to be listening to here? So I'm going to I'm going to end this episode with some of my tips that I would give my clients to help them to make a choice. But before that, I'm going to talk a little bit about where I think we kind of need to maybe get ourselves towards and why I believe that. So number one, let's go back to Maggie, who's 82 years old, looks like a 55. Okay, let's say even a 60 year old. She looks phenomenal. She is clearly thriving and healthy. She lives a healthy lifestyle, but a tough lifestyle, right? This is not a lifestyle most of us would choose. But a couple of little hairs in the soup on Maggie's story. Number one, Maggie in her picture is standing beside her husband, who's a lot younger than her and looks, you know, his age at least. Now, we don't know. We don't have any information on her husband. We don't know if he eats sourdough for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We don't know if he's eating a um, carnivore diet. We don't know if he's an omnivore. We don't know anything about him. So I'm not judging him by any state of the, by any stretch. I'm just saying we don't know. So we only have Maggie as this amazing example of what a carnivore diet has done. Now we also have, before you jump down my throat, guys, we also have lots and lots and lots of accounts of many, many people who have healed themselves from crippling conditions by adopting a carnivore diet. And many of those people, or most, if not all of those people, have labs to show that they are thriving. Their cholesterol levels are great. Their um, their inflammation is down. Obviously, their blood sugar is under control because they're not eating sugar. There's, you know, like every one of their metrics seems to be great. I have not seen, what I have not seen is biological age testing necessarily for these people. So I don't know if they're showing up as younger biologically than they are chronologically, but you know, that may or may not be so important. So now let's talk about a different group, right? Let's talk about the keto diet. On the keto side, we also have a huge number of people who are seemingly thriving, people who have healed their bodies, people who have reduced inflammation, people who've lost a ton of weight, which automatically is going to reduce inflammation, obviously, because if you're carrying a lot of extra fat, that fat is producing cytokines. It's producing inflammatory molecules. And that in and of itself is going to send your, your health spiraling downwards in every way, shape of the that you can imagine. So we've got the keto crowd also. Now, let's keep going on our spectrum here. Let's go to another extreme. Let's look at the vegan world. So on the vegan side, and these are people who consume literally no animal protein whatsoever. So they're not consuming dairy. They're not consuming egg. There's no fish, nothing, nothing, nothing. In some cases, they won't even eat honey because it comes from bees. You know, the people that are trying to get gross people out on honey are talking about, you know, bee is really, bee, honey is bee vomit or bee spit. You know what? This is rhetoric. I would shut it out. But on the vegan side, there are definitely people who seem to be thriving and on a vegan lifestyle. I would say that we don't find as many of the long, long lived people here, but there are definitely stories of a few. What we lack, of course, on all counts is real data. 
right? Somebody reports that I'm 92 years old and I'm vegan. Probably they are, but we don't know for sure. Maybe at some time they ate animal protein, maybe they didn't. And we can say that even on the carnivore side. I'm not picking on vegans at all, but I will say on the vegan side, it's a little less clear to me that the majority of people can thrive as vegans unless they're putting in a lot of work because it becomes a lot harder to get essential fatty acids like omega-3s, Yes, you get ALAs from, from nuts and seeds and stuff like that, but the our conversion of ALA into EFAs is very, very low. So we can't say that you can get all of your essential nutrients easily or efficiently from a vegan diet. B12 is another thing that's hard to get. Bioavailable iron, tough to get. Again, not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it takes a lot of work. So on the vegan side, and, and I will also say that there are many, many stories of people who went vegan and experienced life-changing health benefits. There's also a lot of stories of vegans, five, six, seven, 10 years down the road, sometimes less, who start to really, their health starts to go downhill. And we have a lot of stories of people who had to reintroduce at least some animal protein in their diet, even if it's just eggs, uh, raw or unpasteurized, not unpasteurized, raw or whole dairy and possibly fish. Okay. So to me, the vegan story, it's, it's, they've excluded, I mean, we've got at the carnivore and vegan, we've got two major extremes. We've excluded massive, massive categories of food here. And we see people who seem to do really, really well. And in some cases have to revert back. I haven't heard so much about carnivores needing to go back to eating fruits and vegetables. But you know, that doesn't mean they're not out there. I just haven't heard it as much. I've definitely, there's been a lot more public dialogue around vegans who had to move back into eating animal foods. And I will say that in my practice, I've observed a lot of that. And I haven't worked with a lot of carnivores. So I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that I have a huge amount of knowledge there, but I will tell you that on the vegan side, I have definitely seen a lot of people who had to reintroduce certain animal foods so that they could start better, start to feel better and perform better. The systems in our body that might suffer the most on a vegan diet, I would say might be our brain, right? Because our brain is made of fat. We need those omega-3s. We need B12. We need, we need iron. We need all of these things to thrive. And the brain is the place where we're going to probably experience it the most. The cool thing about the vegan diet, if it's done well, if it's whole foods, if it's not vegan junk foods, we're going to have to talk about that, right? If it's not all these processed vegan foods, like the Imagine Burger and the, what's the other one? The the lab-grown meats or tofurkey or, you know, basically processed foods that have been made to look like meat so that vegans who've given up burgers and really like them feel like they can have them again. Those processed foods are going to be just as bad as any other processed food. So I will say this. If you're even thinking of adopting a vegan or a carnivore diet, make sure that it's a whole food diet because that concept, the concept of a whole food diet of foods that are unadulterated, not full of chemicals and colors and preservatives and Lord knows what else, when we stick to those foods, we will always do better. I'm not going to talk about the lab-grown meat right now, other than to say that I think it's a horrible idea. I, I, I mean, you may sit there and think that it's a great idea for the environment. That's another discussion. I would point you to the interview I did with Autumn Smith from Paleo Valley a couple of weeks ago. 
We are not beating people over the head with a stake, but she is an incredible resource in terms of the sustainability of, of meat and how to grow, how to raise meat properly to make it sustainable and most nutritious. So I'm going to point you to that. All I'm going to say is I don't think that the argument that beef is bad for the environment is settled, nor do I think that the argument that growing vegetables for the entire planet is the answer. Because here's the thing, and the reason why I really believe that meat deserves a place on our plate, and that it is fundamentally the most nutrient-dense food. You need a lot of vegetables to make up for a good piece of animal protein. So it's it's just pound for pound, ounce for ounce, you get more nutrition from that animal protein than you will from your fruits and vegetables. Now you're going to get other things from your vegetables. And I'm going to say vegetables and fruits because I think fruits come in a distant second here. Vegetables to me are going to be a better source of nutrition. So, and oh, to put it out there, I'm an omnivore. I eat vegetables and I eat animal protein. I don't eat a whole lot of fruit, partially because, and I don't eat a lot of grains, in part because diabetes runs rampant in my family. And so I know I've got to be very mindful of my blood sugar levels. And that's something I'm going to touch on in a minute anyway. Okay, so we're still embroiled in the diet lifestyle wars, right? We've got the keto, and then the keto camp over here saying, just eat fat, have a little bit of protein with that. You can have a tiny bit of carbs if you really need to, but you really don't, and you're going to be fine. And I've seen people do really well on keto, and I've seen people blow up on keto. I've seen people do really well on keto for a while and then wake up one morning and be really insulin resistant. Why does that happen? We don't really know. Why does it happen to some people and not others? Why are some people thriving on carnivore and not others? Same with vegans or vegetarians or whatever, what may have you, what have you? Sorry, got a little... My words got a little confused there. So here's the thing. Nutrition, at least in humans, is personal. And we are unique in the animal kingdom this way. Think about it. Does a lion sit and worry about whether they should be eating vegetables? Are some lions, some lions, vegetarians and vegans and other lions carnivores? Are some dogs carnivores and other dogs vegan? What about cats, birds? No. Animals just, first of all, they don't think about it, number one. Number two, they just eat what they eat. For, for humans, we have the luxury of having the opportunity and the option of eating all the different things. And so now we can imagine that different tribes of us, if you will, have evolved over many, 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 many decades and centuries and whatnot to prefer certain diets. And our bodies have adapted, most likely genetically, and from our gut perspective, our bodies have adapted to eating different proportions of different foods. So I maintain, and I do believe that for most of us, the best diet or the best foundation of our diet is going to lie in our family history. I think that if you come from a family of generations of people that ate a lot of starch, we know that genetically, some of these people, some of these cultures have more copies of a gene that breaks down amylase, which is starch, than the rest of us. So some people are better adapted at breaking down and digesting starch than other people. Other people are possibly better adapted to eating more meat. 
or more vegetables or whatever the case may be. So we need to, in my mind, we need to pay attention to our ethnic background. Now, that's in a perfect world. In an imperfect world, we you are listening to this episode, you are 30, 40, 50, 60, fill in the blank years old, whatever you are, you have had your health challenges, you may be in a place right now where you're completely out of balance. And that is why you're sitting there going, I need to change something. What is the diet I need to adopt to correct whatever imbalances I'm going through? And so what I'm going to share with you now are some of my tips for adopting a new lifestyle or thinking about a new lifestyle and then applying it. So the biggest mistakes I see people make is they hear about whether it's from their friend or online or social media, whatever the case may be, they hear about the carnivore diet or the keto diet or the vegetarian or the vegan or paleo, whatever, what have you. They hear about this diet. They read some of the comments. They see some of the success stories and they're like, oh my God, I want to be that person. And they launch right into this thing. They don't do their homework. They don't have any idea of what their starting point is other than how they feel, which I'm not going to dismiss. I'm not going to dismiss the importance of how you feel, but we need, you need data. And if you're going to make a dramatic change like this, you must, must, must collect data. So the first thing that you must do is establish your baseline. Hey guys, just a quick interruption to share with you something I've recently discovered, the Apollo wearable. It was developed by neuroscientists and physicians. It's a wearable that transforms how you feel through your sense of touch, giving you more energy, a brighter mood, deeper relaxation, and better flow. Through soothing, gentle waves of vibration called Apollo Vibes, the Apollo wearable helps your body to relax, reduces the feelings of stress, putting you into a state that allows you to have more control over how you want to feel. I love the Apollo wearable because I wear it either on the inside of my shirt or around my wrist or around my ankle. Nobody knows it's there. I just program it with my phone. Imagine Apollo vibes that are like music that you can feel. Imagine a playlist of soothing vibrations like the beat of a song for your body to listen to. Higher vibrations help us to improve our energy and focus, while lower vibrations reduce stress and help you relax. Apollo is unlike any other fitness and health wearables because it doesn't just track your health biometrics, it also actively helps to improve your health by strengthening your nervous system. All you have to do is wear it and feel the vibes. In recent research, Apollo wearable users experienced up to an average of 40% less stress and feelings of anxiety, up to 19% more time in deep sleep, on average up to 11% increase in HRV, and up to 25% more focus and concentration. If you'd like to give the Apollo wearable a try yourself, you can get $50 off by heading over to apolloneuro.com forward slash nat, and you $50 automatically applies, or just use code nat50. And now let's get back to the episode. Get blood work done. Go to the doctor, preferably find a functional medicine provider and do deep blood work. Get insight into what's your cholesterol like? What does it look like at a deeper level? Do you have a lot of VLDL, oxidized VLDL? What's your HDL look like? What does your LDL look like? Is your LDL big and fluffy or teeny and tiny? You need that kind of insight. You need to know what are your inflammation markers looking like? Do you have a lot of inflammation? What does your blood sugar look like? What's your fasting blood sugar? What's your fasting insulin? All of these things are really, really important. 
we want to take it a step further, we might look at our micronutrient status. So this is when you do a test like, I think SpectraCell has a test. I think it's SpectraCell and Vibrant, I think I have one too. They have tests where they will look inside your cells and they will look at what are your what's your status of vitamins, minerals, and other micronutrients. This will give you really good insight about what you're starting at. When, where are you depleted and where are you doing really well? Next, if you want to go even deeper, okay, now this is this isn't a perfect case scenario. If you don't want to do these next two steps, the, the micronutrients and the one I'm about to talk about now, even just starting with your labs is a great starting point. The second one is how about getting a picture or an image of what's happening in your microbiome? Now, this is a really interesting conversation because we know that the microbiome is responsible for everything. It's responsible for our mental health. It's responsible for our immune system function. It's responsible for providing us with certain vitamins and minerals and, and other nutrients that our bodies need and cannot survive well without. Now you can now we will know because you know people on the veg, vegetable side say you can't have a healthy microbiome without vegetables and fiber people on the carnivore side side are thumbing their nose at that concept because they're saying look at me I feel look and present as amazing and I haven't had any meat Paul Saladino, I've heard him talking about how certain types of collagen, if you're eating a very nose-to-tail diet can actually feed your microbiome in a certain way but there is no doubt that the microbiome of a carnivore is going to be very different than the microbiome of a vegan, is going to be super different than the microbiome of a keto person or a, a Mediterranean diet person. All of these microbiomes are going to look different. And you know, bottom line, it doesn't actually matter that they look different. What matters is how is the person's health showing up? So, sorry, we're not under attack here. I don't know if you can hear the jets overhead, but we have something called the CNE in Toronto at this time of year, and and they put on an air show. We might hear that a couple more times. Anyway, so back to what we're looking at. We said labs, blood work, basic blood work. Number two, we said micronutrient status. Number three is going to be get your microbiome assessed, not so that we can judge it. Now, there may be some of you who might find out that you're way overrepresented in, on one side or another or very deficient in something else. Like, for example, myself, I just had my microbiome assessed and I got some stuff going on. My acromantia is way too low. My bifidobacteria, way too low. We need, I need to figure this out and I need to correct it. And I'm working with professionals to do just that. But anyway, get your microbiome assessed because this is going to inform you on your journey. All right. So number one, test, get your baseline. The other things you want to test, look at your body composition. Where are you at? You're going to write it down. You're going to step on a scale. You're going to use a, um, a tape measure, measure your measurements because for a lot of us, we change our diet because why? Because we want to look better and we want to lose some weight, right? So losing weight is a complicated kind of conversation, which will be for another day. But for today, get your baselines. Ideally, pro tip, get a, get your DEXA scan done, right? This is going to give you a really good idea of how much of you is bone, how much of you is muscle, how much of you is fat, because this is going to give you a spectacular idea of what progress you're making and how good that progress is. Losing weight is one thing, but if you're losing weight by losing muscle, not so great. If you're not really losing weight, but you've lost fat and you've gained muscle, 
That's amazing. So what we want to avoid doing is getting fixated on that number on the scale and becoming more fixated by how we feel, how we perform, how strong we are, and what we're made of. Okay, so that's our baselines. The next thing we're going to do, rather than talking to our best friend about this and finding out what they did, unless they've done what I'm going to say next, you want to do your own homework. So you want to do research or find a coach or find a group coaching program. I don't care. Find someone who knows what they're talking about. And by this, I'm being very clear, stay away from the influencer who has no background in this area, who lost 75 pounds doing the keto diet and has now become an authority, a self-proclaimed authority on the keto diet. And I'm going to tell you why. Because this person only knows what works for them. They don't necessarily know why it works for them. They don't actually even really know for sure that it worked for them on every level. But all they know is they adopted a keto diet and they lost 75 pounds and they are now going to walk around and trumpet the benefits of the keto diet to the rest of the world. I tip my hat to them. I think it's amazing what they've done, but they are not the right person for you because you need to go deeper. If you're going to go keto, You are going to want to know the hows, the whys, the ins and outs. And more importantly, you're going to want to have understanding about how and why and when it is working for you and it is not. And that influencer is not going to be able to guide you here. So especially if you have health issues, any kind of health issues, you're going to want to find yourself either a coach or a doctor or, like I said, a group program or a one-on-one program, whatever it is, you want to find a community of people led by someone who has education in this area who can properly guide you, okay? We need guidance. We need information. If you decide to go it alone, and you may choose to do that, I've seen people do it. I'm not saying you can't do it successfully, but if you decide to do it alone, then educate yourself. Read books, watch videos, get the true knowledge, okay? We've now, we've gotten our baselines. We've established that we have found a person who knows what they're doing or resources that are well-informed, right? Who are going to guide us on our journey. The next thing, the next big mistake I see people make, they don't measure and they do not monitor their progress, okay? So particularly if you're adopting a keto diet, which can be really complicated, I mean, it is and it isn't, right? But to actually be on a keto diet, you must measure. You must wear, you must measure your your ketones. You must measure how many carbs you're eating. You must consider how much fat you're eating. The biggest mistake I see people making is they eat a whole lot of protein and not enough fat, or they think they're not eating carbs, but they're eating carbs. Same goes on the carnivore diet. You're going to want to watch that you're not too, too high on the protein and too, too low on the fat, right? Because you need to be able to get your fat. Number on the vegan side, again, We want to make sure that we're getting some fat and some healthy fat in that diet. We can't just be eating carbs all the time. I mean, some people can maybe, but you're going to need some fat in that diet and it's going to have to be decent fat. So paleo diet's the same. Paleo, it's less about the macros, but it's more about the micronutrients. So using an app, something like Chronometer, to log all the foods and the drinks, all the things that you're eating is going to be able to give you a lot of insight on a number of fronts. I think the chronometer now offers options to say, I'm on a carnivore diet, I'm on a paleo diet, I'm on a this or that diet. So they're not going to necessarily yell at you for not eating the things that you've excluded. But what's, and, and for the carnivore diet, it's going to be of limited use because you're going to find that you're going to most likely be deficient in a lot of like the phytonutrients and 
thing, other things, like little things that they might measure that just aren't going to be present in your diet. But measure, okay? Log your food because especially if you're on a keto diet, you're going to have to know exactly how many carbs and you're going to need to measure your ketones because that's what's going to tell you if you're actually in ketosis or not. I've seen too many people say they're on a keto diet, start to gain a lot of weight. And at the end of the day, it's because they never really crossed that threshold into ketosis. So they were eating too many carbs and they were eating a ton of fat. And that is a perfect recipe for failure, for getting fat, getting unhealthy, and not reaping the benefits of the keto diet, actually seeing the keto diet working against you. Okay, so we've established our baseline with at least blood tests with labs. We've we've gone a little deeper on the micronutrient front if we want to. We've gone even a little deeper on the microbiome side if we choose to. For microbiome testing, you can do Biome FX from microbiome labs, or you can use, um, I know the Vibrant has the gut zoomer as well. Um, there's a lot of these tests out there. And if you're taking my advice and you're working with a professional, they will be able to guide you to which ones of these tests they feel are the best. Okay, so we've done that. We've gotten our resources. We are measuring, right? The other thing we want to measure, how do you feel, right? And do this on a scale of one to 10. Keep a journal because we forget. And things I would love you to, what I would invite you to measure are things like your energy levels, your sleep, your focus, your pain. Do you have joint pain now? What's happening to that joint pain as you go? And just as importantly, and possibly more importantly, is digestive symptoms, bloating, constipation, diarrhea. I will say that if you go to any one of these extremes, as your microbiome adjusts to the new way of eating, you may experience periodic periods of either constipation or diarrhea, whatever the case may be, which you will need to manage. And there will be information in all of your resources because we know that when people go carnivore quite often, they either get constipated or they get diarrhea. It's usually short-lived, right? So you will get good advice about how to manage that. One of the other things about carnivore I want to I want to impress upon you, and this applies to keto as well, is getting enough salt, right? So getting using something like element or sea salt, like Celtic sea salt in water with lemon juice, actually no lemon juice for the carnivore, sorry. Celtic water, uh, Celtic sea salt on your feet, food, and possibly you might need to supplement with extra electrolytes to help those electrolytes to balance. Okay, so we're measuring, but we're also tracking. So buy yourself an amazing book or get an app. There's apps for everything now. And I'm sure there's an app out there that's gonna help you to every single day log how you're feeling, how you're sleeping, what's your joint pain like, all of these things. Make yourself a spreadsheet. You don't need to spend money on this, but you need do need to do it and be consistent. Okay, the last thing, and this is the thing that I see people fall apart on all the time. They adopt diet ABC, whatever it is, lifestyle ABC, whatever it is, and they do it for two weeks, maybe three weeks, and then they either get bored or they say it doesn't work or they just fritter away and then they bounce to the next thing and then they bounce to the next thing and they bounce to the next thing. Look, if you've done your homework, if you're getting guidance, if you've gone to the trouble of establishing your baselines, make a commitment. Start with a 30-day commitment. If at the end of 30 days, you're feeling better, any kind of improvement or even neutral, do another 30 days. 
still feeling good, talk to your provider. Depending on what your health issues were, maybe now's a good time to check in with your metrics again, repeat that labs, the, the blood work. Maybe you want to wait another 30 days. Definitely, some people will repeat blood work after 30 days. If you have the resources to do that, I'm a huge fan because you should start to see something shift, especially if this is a dramatic change for you. At 60 days is another good time, and at 90 days is a must. Okay, so if you haven't checked in with new labs after 30 or 60 days, 90 days, you've got to repeat your labs because this is where you're going to start to get real insight as to whether this is starting to move your metrics in the right direction or the wrong direction. But assuming that you're feeling better, that you're feeling good, that those subjective markers, the energy, the sleep, the pain, the inflammation, the bloating, all of those things, assuming that these things are all improving and that your labs are at the very least not showing alarming trends going the wrong way, then there's a good sign that this for now is your good path and you're having success with it. So stay the course. Okay, I'm going to finish up and I'm going to touch on a few more subjects. What I have found is that people who tend to do the best on the most extreme diets are people who eat to live versus people who live to eat. Those of us who are self-proclaimed foodies, and I am one of them, I love food, I love good food, I love cooking, I I love the tastes and the textures and the this and the that. It is very hard, doesn't mean it's wrong, but it is very hard for me to be good on, to be devoted to a a, um, carnivore lifestyle. I get bored. I need spices. I need sauces. I need variety. But to a person, and this is sometimes people who are just very sick, so they have to make these changes. To a person who eats to live, food to them is just a tool. They just do it because they have to. Sometimes these other diets are much more sustainable for them because they don't care. All they want is simplicity and they want a path forward. So understand your drivers. Okay, so understand how you how you roll. And I'm going to say that I still believe that the science is unsettled on any extreme diet. I firmly believe that for most of us, there are outliers in every group. You're going to find vegans who live to a ripe old age, just as we are finding carnivores who look far younger than their years. I'm not sure that we have seen too many people who have been fully carnivore and have lived to be past 100 years old. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying we're not seeing them. And maybe Maggie will be the poster child for that as well. Right now, it sure looks like it. Right now, if how she looks is any indication of how long she's going to live, barring an accident or something horrible, this woman's going to, she's got a lot of years left in her. She looks phenomenal. But here's the thing. Understand that you must find that lifestyle that works for your body that works for your life, that you can commit to, and that is not going to be a fight every day. Because if it's a fight every day for you to do whatever it is, A, B, C, or D, you're going to probably have to let it go. You're going to have to fail. Now, does that mean that you must find one thing and one thing only and stick with it for the rest of your life? I don't think so. I think that we can actually benefit from periods. Certain people might need a period of carnivore in their life to heal from certain things. They might do well to go vegan for a period of time to get certain things back into balance. And I can talk about those details on another podcast, another solo episode down the road if you guys want that. But 
Sometimes an intervention is better than saying, I have to do this for the rest of my life. Because here's the thing, our needs change over time. Our needs change as we age, as our health status changes, they change for different phases of life. Women going through menopause, women in pregnancy, teenagers, a young man who's who's a high level athlete versus a guy who's stuck behind a desk for 24 hours a day. Their nutritional needs are going to be different. What they need to thrive might shift. What will always be true is that a whole food diet will always serve you better than the alternative, a processed food diet. What will also always be true is that periods of fasting, even if we call 12, 14, 16 hours fasting, periods of fasting will always benefit us if we are in a good enough state of health. Next, caloric restriction across the board, eating fewer calories than you actually need on paper has been the one thing over and over and over again that has shown good data for longevity. Doesn't necessarily mean those people are happiest, but they're definitely living longer. People who live longer do not eat an excess of food right? They eat what they need. Sometimes they eat a little less than that. And that forces the body to do a lot of repair work. And again, this is a whole other topic. These are all little wormholes we can fall into or rabbit holes, if you will, that we can fall into in different podcasts. So fasting, moving, getting outside, getting sleep, managing your stress, all of these things are critical. But what this episode was about was really talking about all the fighting and the brawling that's going on right now about these different diets and lifestyles. So finally, I'm just going to leave you with a quick synopsis. Measure, test, don't guess, do the test, get your baselines, get guidance, get education, make a commitment, measure again. And if you really want to get crazy, measure your biological age. Measure your telomeres, measure your pace of aging, because these are metrics that will shift actually pretty quickly. Your DNA methylation status won't, but your telomeres and your pace of aging, actually those things can move around pretty quickly. So again, this might give you insight under the hood as to whether what you're doing is working for you or not. Okay, I'm going to close it off here. I'm going to invite you all to send me your comments, your messages, your feedback, and your questions. And I'm also going to invite you to give me ideas about what else do you want me to talk about in these solo episodes. I've made a commitment to do two a month for at least until at least the end of 2023. So I've got a lot of space to fill. If there's anything particular you want to hear me talk about, let me know. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Do you want more research? Do you want more numbers? Do you want more technical stuff or do you want less? Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. If you got value from this episode, make sure that you share it with your friends, your family, and your network. If you loved it, or if you're feeling inspired, make sure to leave us a review. And once again, I'm super grateful for you guys. And thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. 
Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.